Welcome to episode six of the Been There, Lost Fat podcast, real education and advice from people who get it. We have been there, lost fat, and successfully helped many others in doing so. We're here to help you weed through all the bad information and gimmicks to reach your health, fitness, and physique goals in a sustainable way. I'm Sarah Fuchinari, an integrative health practitioner, certified nutrition coach, and head coach of Team Fit With Me, here with my assistant coaches and certified nutritionists, Jess Beloy and Taylor Nobles. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> I am so excited about today's guest. So she is our in-house mindset guru. She's a certified national counselor. She's certified up the wazoo, really. She's a best-selling author. She's got a podcast. She does all of the things, and she's also become a good friend over the past couple of years. Celeste, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Happy to be here. I feel like I feel like I'm in the hot seat because Celeste has a super successful podcast. That, how long have you been podcasting? <laughs> no, you're fine. Actually, the best thing of that list was the part about us becoming friends over the years. Um, <laughs> but I have had my podcast since 2018. Yeah, she's a professional. And actually, I think that's how I found you. I'm trying, I was trying to think as I was like preparing for this pod, yeah. how I like found you initially. I know I slid in your DMs. I think that's how it happened. You did. You slid in the DMs. <laughs> and, and I know it was out of a need because we were looking for somebody to help with the mindset piece of everything because it is so important. Um, and so Celeste now is our like in-house counselor for all of the things that our team, uh, our team needs. And I'd like to start just by like, I feel like I probably am missing some pieces of your story. So can you just tell us a little bit about your health journey and kind of what led you to where you are now? Yeah, so I guess I'll make a long story short, but I was always an athlete my whole life. Started with volleyball. Well, I didn't start with volleyball, but that was like my main thing. Volleyball was like everything to me, but I realized I could go even further in the sport if I started prioritizing my nutrition and my fitness. And I went through a high school breakup and I was like, you know, how can I expect anyone to respect me and stay true to me and not cheat on me if I'm cheating myself? So I actually ended up falling into really disordered eating pathways and um, thoughts about myself and my body. But I'm grateful for that journey because despite it not starting in the healthiest way, like I didn't know any better. I was on Pinterest and mm -hmm. I was falling into the fitness gimmicks, as you said, the things that just perpetuate a lot of the negative cycles that we face when we're falling into disordered eating or negative thoughts about our body image and ourselves. And I ended up falling in love with fitness. Anyways, I got really into it. I quit volleyball, decided I didn't want to play in college like I originally planned. I became a personal trainer, started studying clinical nutrition and dietetics, was like, I don't want to tell people what to eat. I would rather understand why they're eating, what's going into this, what is it that's needed to change their life because I, I just wasn't passionate about it the way you guys are. You know, you guys are the real professionals mm -hmm. when it comes to the nutrition and the fitness side of things. I just didn't want to focus on that. So what I found was in studying that, I was really invested in the philosophy, the psychology, the lifespan development, the wellness classes. All of those stood out to me. So I was like, I'm just going to switch my degree to psychology. So that's what I did. And after I completed my bachelor's in psychology, I was more inspired because I wanted to take it even further and help my clients with the message of building more than just a body. And I thought I could learn even more by pursuing a master's in clinical mental health counseling, whether or not I pursue getting licensure or taking it even further. 
if anything, it's going to give me a whole new skill set, a whole new outlook, perspectives, and ways to apply these theories that I've been learning about. So that's exactly what I did. And um, that's like a very long story short into my personal journey. But of course, I'm a competitor as well. I do bodybuilding competitions, specifically in the bikini division. And I have found that in that space, you know, it's highly perpetuated to have disordered ways. And I want to show people you can have a healthy relationship with food and your body, no matter what your fitness goals are. Yeah, I think I, I want to say that that's how I initially found you was maybe when I took a little hiatus from Jason and I spent like a year with Adam coaching. I think maybe you were like doing something with him and maybe that's how it, does that make sense? With I that, did a couple with those, podcasts with, with him. Yeah. He interviewed okay. me on his podcast a few times too. I think that's how I initially found you. I figured it out. Mystery solved. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. <laughs> Jess, I'll let you kick it off. 21 questions to Celeste and go. <laughs> what is the dumbest, most extreme diet that you have ever done? Huh. There's a lot of them. Um, I'll go with the one that started it all. I did a bananas and milk diet when I was like nine years old. It was my first diet ever. I remember I felt husky. Is this supposed to be rapid fire or can I expand? Oh, expand. Go, go, go. We got time. Expect for bananas and milk. We have time. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So I had mentioned to my dad, like, um, I had watched this episode of Full House. This is where everything started for me, guys. I watched this episode of Full House and Becky's pregnant and she looks down and she's like, I, you know, you're pregnant when you can't see your toes. And I went and showered and I looked down and I was like, I'm not pregnant and I can't see my toes. I was nine. This is really unfortunate mm-hmm. that even at that point, like I'm thinking this way, like I'd only been on the planet for nine years and my perspective on myself and my body was shifted. And my dad was like, you know, I had a husky phase as well. He's like the first diet I did innocently. He said this, the first diet I did was the bananas and milk diet. I just ate bananas and milk. So what did I do? I just started eating bananas and milk. It was for a short period of time, but that was the first diet. And I think that's probably what kickstarted a lot of those ways. Around here, we oh call that baby led weaning. You call that what? <laughs> baby led weaning. We use that for what? our our four month to six month olds. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! <laughs> to feed our six. First yeah. thing they get is milk and bananas. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the mom humor is lost on us. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I was so <laughs> <laughs> I got it, Jess. I got it. I understood you. Um, we've talked, well, we've talked a lot about the, the, the time factor and the starting of the diets. And all, I think all of us started around that. Like my first diet, I remember was like middle school and Jess, I, I think, what'd you say? You dieted oh, for yeah. like 25 years. Something um, like Taylor, that. when was Something your first diet? Did we- I can't pinpoint like when it actually was, but I know that like my mom was on like no carbs, Weight Watchers, like all growing up. So we would do that together a lot. The, fa- the family thing is a thing, especially I think when you have like a mom that is really conscious of, you know, what she looks like, which I did as well. Um, and I think that it was, you know, I've, I think Celeste and I have talked privately about this, but I don't know if we talked to everybody about it. Um, I don't think that anything that she did that had a negative effect was intended with that. I think that now as an adult, like I see the intent behind it. And it was because she was, she was my mom and she was trying to protect me from the pain of being uncomfortable in my body. So she was trying to help me. And that's really how I perceive it. And that's why, <laughs> don't hate me for saying this, Celeste. 
Um, I have had a really hard time when I've reached out for help in the mental health department because the conversation always goes to be angry at your parents. And I have a really hard time with that because how can I be angry when the intent was there? Like the intent was pure and positive and I never felt like my parents didn't love me. So I'm supposed to be mad at them for being human. You know what I mean? Like that's been my issue with finding, um, with seeking out a, a professional to help with this like food relationship stuff. Um, and I guess that's actually probably a good question for you is what's the difference between somebody like seeking your help versus when they go to, you know, their insurance company and find somebody, you know, in the yellow pages to help them with this stuff? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I would say the number one thing that sets me apart is no one has to explain themselves to me as far as like dieting lingo or why they want to change their body or what it is that they're committing to when they're tracking their food or weighing it or putting it in an app or checking in with a coach, taking photos of their body. I don't perceive this as disordered at all. You'll go into the mental health field right now and you see a lot of like this, uh, I'm just going to be offensive in some ways, but you Do see it. a lot of this like <laughs> health at every size movement that's just been blown out of proportion. And I think that there's a lack of personal responsibility taking and encouragement. And mm -hmm. I think that there's a forgetfulness of intention being what matters. And while research shows that a lot of times elite athletes or people pursuing a change in their physique will have things that look like disordered eating or look like disordered ways, it doesn't actually mean that they are. And the key differentiator there, I feel like I'm going off topic, but the key differentiator there is that- No, go for it. We are not we're not actually being negatively affected in our life by it. If anything, it's having a positive impact. So what sets me apart is I understand the intention. I understand the lingo. So you don't really have to explain like what a macro is to me or what your meal plan is. Like I understand mm -hmm. that. I also am committed myself on an elite level. And so I can definitely relate. And I've been there on the fitness journey side of things where you're in your lifestyle phase. So I understand that. I also have had my ups and downs in my journey. So I get the weight gain, weight loss, the yo-yoing, the trying to find what's going to work for you in the long run. Whereas some mental health pros haven't really had those same experiences. Or if they have, like you said, sometimes they bring their own personal experience into it and want you to hate your parents mm -hmm. or hate society or, and, and I just don't agree with that. I think it's an individual journey. We must obtain, we must, um, sustain and uphold the commitment of autonomy for every single client. And I think by suffocating people with it's because of this, it's actually removing autonomy of exploration. And while the counseling field prioritizes that, I think they miss the link sometimes when they become hyper fixated on that. So that's really what SSB Prime. And also, I'm not going to accept your insurance likely. I mean, maybe you'll submit a little health savings card. <laughs> and I'm not going to call myself a licensed therapist, but um, I definitely have the background and I'm here to support you. And I, I'm very hands-on. I've developed structures and systems and processes specifically for these areas, whereas sometimes therapists, you'll come for this problem. You end up talking about a lot of things one week at a time before you ever get to the problem. So I like to go straight to the mm -hmm. source, even though it's fun to look at the other things. I know why people are hiring me. Yeah, it's a factor of, so I think the actually living the lifestyle yourself is a huge piece of it. And I, and even then what, 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 what we do, there's lots of nutritionists and health coaches that aren't doing it themselves. And so, yeah, we can all regurgitate stuff we've read in a book, but actually applying it to your life and doing the work is a whole other thing. So I think that's a big yeah. piece of the puzzle. 
But I did like that you're like, you're such an action taker too. And that's another thing that I've always had trouble with is that, yeah, I'm happy to talk, but like, for me, I don't find a whole lot of productive about like talking about things I can't change. So like, what can we do to move forward here? And I've noticed that whenever I've reached out for help in that front as well. Taylor, what do you got? I definitely don't want to talk about, I definitely don't want to talk about things for weeks at a time before we get to the root. Like, tell me how I can like potentially fix this this week so that I don't have a mental breakdown at the end of it. Um, So my question for you is what are you still working on on your journey and what has been the biggest challenge along the way? That's a really great question. So I, is this specifically related to fitness and nutrition? Whatever you want. Oh, the floor is yours. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I'm still working on my ability to incorporate other things I love outside of work. And I'm not saying this like a job interview where they're like, tell me your rinkest thing. You're like, I love what I do. I'll work forever. But like genuinely, I struggle with that where I've come to realize like I justify not doing other things that I enjoy because I enjoy working. So I still have a difficult time like setting those boundaries with myself um, to not Mm -hmm. take on more and more, keep doing, doing, doing. So that's something I'm working on a lot more now, like incorporating more things in my life um, that would help me on an overall health perspective, right? So that is something I'm still working on. Um, I think from a more like body image and food relationship standpoint, it's, it's really like as in this sport that I compete in, there's ever evolution of your body. You don't really reach a maintenance level until you're told by judges that you've made it. And I haven't come close to where I want to be yet. So I think there's also Mm -hmm. that consistent focus on, yes, I'm trying to meet criteria, but it doesn't define me and it never has, which I'm proud of, but making sure that I maintain like that focus on, I may never get what I want, but if I'm happy with the process, that's what matters. So um, that's kind of how it's evolved with me as well. Can you explain a little bit about like what what like what you do as a competitor? Because our listeners are not in the bodybuilding world. So can you kind of explain like what your what the evolution of that is and what you know whatever you want to share about that that you think would give people a good taste of kind of what you're talking about here? So brief overview of competing in the bikini division at the NPC level. NPC level is not drug tested, although I am a natural athlete. NPC is it is comprised of many different categories. The bikini division specifically is looking for overall balance, shape, and symmetry. They're not looking for hard lines, capped shoulders, or extreme amounts of striations on your muscle. So you're, they say they want the beach look. No one on the beach I've ever seen looks like these girls. So let me just say that. Um, (laughs) They want a lot of muscle in the glutes and the shoulders specifically to really create that hourglass frame. They don't want separation in the abs. So when you're competing in this sport, you're trying to meet specific criteria in the best way that fits your body. You compete in regional shows. So those are local to you usually, or sometimes you travel a little bit, then you compete at national levels. Those shows are much bigger. You're looking at classes sometimes Um, A bikini division as a whole could have like 300 competitors, sometimes more, sometimes a little less. And that's to compete to earn your pro card. And then when you earn your pro card, you enter what's called the IFBB. That's where you're competing at a pro level. So that's a synopsis of, Mm -hmm. of that journey. And I'm in the NPC right now working to enter the IFBB. 
That's awesome. And is there like a, like you want to, I mean, I see, so like I follow some competitors, but I obviously know very little about it. Is it like you just, you want to have the pro card and then that's like, that's the end game or is it, is this like, a, is this a lifelong thing? Like, or do you, or do you not have a timeline on it? Is it like, you know, when somebody, somebody can only play football for how many years? Like, is there an expiration date on that? No, I don't believe there's an expiration date on competing at all. I think you compete your entire life. Some people get into it in their 70s. Even we've seen that a lot over the last couple of years. They're encouraging much more masters levels competitors. So I foresee this personally being a lifelong sport for myself because of what it adds to my life and brings to my life. If it ever felt like it wasn't, I would step away. I have other things I want to achieve. You know, I want to start a family and I want to have kids and I want to travel and do all these things. And I believe I can do a lot of that while competing because I've established it as a lifestyle. But um, I think it'll have ebbs and flows. For me, I want to compete. I want to earn my pro card and I want to compete as a pro because um, the platform I've already created is great. I don't necessarily need those things to do what I'm doing, but it could just be mm -hmm. done even bigger and better and continue to show people that mission. That's awesome. Jess, what do you got? Uh, what is one thing that has changed the game for you? These are great questions. <laughs> oh, we came prepared. <laughs> oh, yes, you did. And I love that I didn't know them before because I, I don't like when things are like, I can tell they've been rehearsing that. Um, <laughs> so I do appreciate that. I think what changed the game for me was no longer doing what I thought I should be doing based on what others were doing to achieve the success I wanted. So in other words, Ooh. like seeing other people with the, the results I want and being like, I have to do that in order to get there, but then being miserable or not being able to sustain it or actually being very disrespectful and inconsiderate of what they've actually been through and faced, not respecting their journey. And if I don't respect their journey, I can't really respect mine. So I think just really being okay with taking an approach that works for me and letting go of all the noise that tells me, no, you need to do it exactly this way. Cause that's what so-and-so did. Um, when I was finding out that's what was causing me to consistently like, I was doing really good. Then I'd fall down and do really good, fall down. And so I was like, what needs to change so that I don't have to keep getting back on track. And I was like, well, the track is broken. Let's build a new track. And so I built one for me and that's been working well. <laughs> what was like your biggest crux? Were you like a, like a binge eater? Like what, what, like what kind of disordered eating have you engaged in? I guess is the question I'm asking. So in before competing early stages, I was binging and restricting quite a bit. So I would restrict food groups. I would restrict amounts of food and I would restrict types of food. And then I would have like the well, I had um, like back in 2013 or 14, I had my first coach and like it was like a cookie cutter meal plan that was like, yeah, on every two weeks on Saturdays or every Saturday you can have a cheat meal or a cheat day. So I would literally from midnight to midnight eat and binge stuff mm -hmm. my face because <laughs> this is my one opportunity. This is my one chance. And looking back, I feel so bad for that version of myself that she didn't know about like flexible dieting or the ability to have all these foods. Like I, I restricted things that my body really needed at the time too. And so it just led to more problems, but the binging, the restriction, I also, um, purged, but not through vomiting. People think that purging is just vomit, but it's not, it's also restricting your, um, caloric intake the next day 
doing excess amounts of activity to try to make up for it and punishing mm -hmm. yourself in some way. So it's important to me that people know it, it can also manifest that way. So if you're being told you got to do excess to make up for something that's perpetuating the problem. So for me, that was a big deal. And then in, when I started competing, competing was my ability to say why I couldn't do certain things because now I could say, well, I'm on prep. So that's why I can't have this, but I would still, after the show, you know, I could commit, I could do a full year on a meal plan, never take a lick. I've never taken a lick off my plan. I'm still proud of that. It's good. But then I would end up binge eating after these shows. And then I would like not understand how, how do I stick to something? I just did this for so long. Why am I falling off? So for me, it was binging, overeating, eating to way past comfort levels. And I don't remember the last time I binged, which is awesome. Um, but that was what I struggled with. Well, and if we think about it in like a lifestyle way, obviously, like your example is super extreme being a competitor. Um, I do find that, and you can tell me if you see the same thing, especially because you work with all the Fit With Me gals, um, that we're so focused on the transformation stages. We're so focused on the times where we're really focusing on fat loss and looking to make those physical progress, you know, that measurable physical progress that I think that a lot of times we neglect the exit plan from the diet, we neglect the times in between the diet, we neglect the maintenance phases, the reverse phases, all of those things that are so important because we're so focused on those transformation phases, you know? Yeah. And we also like, I know when I was not a competitor, when I was just living the lifestyle, I didn't know those things were necessary. I didn't even know those things mm -hmm. could help my journey. So I think there was the lack of education and knowledge to understand that that was important. And that was something that should have been prioritized. I wish when I started that I would have gone into like a building mode and like been told to eat and put on muscle and like try to lift, not to lift and barely eat, you know, because I think that's what we're often told. So what I see is there's a strong association between getting results and dieting. So when people think about their transformation or trying to get where they want to go, if it doesn't involve some sort of restriction or strict diet or being told exactly what to eat, they don't think it's going to work for them because we've been taught that it won't. But in reality, as you guys have proven with all of your results, it does work. And it's important to have those phases because ultimately people say, I want this to be a lifestyle for me, but we all, all know and recognize what they really want is to see a extreme result fairly quickly. You can't have both necessarily. You can get results on a consistent basis, but to sustain those results, it matters how you actually got those. So it's hard to let go of the timeline and rush to get ready for whatever you're getting ready for, or to look a certain way by a certain time. It's difficult to let go of that. But what's so rewarding is when you achieve that and then you're like, and now I can associate this body in this transformation and the way that I feel also with something sustainable. Mm -hmm. Fucking time, man. It's the worst part. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. <laughs> but once I like, once I, we've talked about time on every, not just every podcast we've recorded since we've only recorded a handful, probably every conversation yep. we have time comes into the picture because it is the hardest part. But if, but, but then I like, I zoom out on my journey and I've been doing this for like, really from when I start, like first had weight loss surgeries where I marked like my health journey. It's been like six and a half, little over six and a half years. And I made the most of my physical progress in those first couple of years. But as far as that, like balance word that everybody's looking for, I didn't think that that was a real thing. Or I just thought that I didn't get to have that. 
But I never found that until I was not dieting. <laughs> like it was not happening when I was focusing on those other things, but I didn't know. And when I hired my coach, I was eating 800 calories. I was exercising for two hours a day. Um, I mean, like Taylor and Jess, when they first came to me, they were in similar situations. We had no idea. Yeah. That's what we think we have to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So my question, what are some of the most common things that you see that are holding people back when it comes to mindset work in learning and living a healthy lifestyle? I'd say one of the common things is not making time for it. So they'll make time to do their cardio, to track their food or to prep their food or to work out, but they won't make time to write down even a sentence that acknowledges how they feel that day, or they won't take the time to learn how to communicate with people in their life. They won't identify the potential sabotages that could hold them back from sustaining their results. So I think a lack of real commitment to the change that needs to happen on an internal level to support the changes happening on a physical level, there's a bit of that scarcity mentality of like, well, I don't have time for that and this is more important, so I'm just going to do this. When really it's overcomplicated, it doesn't have to be uh, that serious. I think the more serious you take it, the better, of course, and the faster the results, because technically with neural pathways, the more you repeat it, the stronger the new association gets. So if you're repeating old pathways while trying to embark on a new lifestyle, something's going to come up where you might fall into those old pathways. So it's important to prioritize that as one common thing It's just not not making it a priority, period. Another thing that I see a lot is like falling into this thought process of it's not going to work for me or the limiting beliefs of I'm always going to be this way or what if I do this and nothing happens? Or I tried this and it didn't work, but maybe they only tried it once or twice. Maybe it's only been a week mm -hmm. or so. Uh, so that pressure again of time and that mm -hmm. pressure of I, I should be here by now. So I see that's another common thing is not giving it like a real effort. We too critical when we need to be compassionate and think of everything we do like an experiment. So rather than like, I need to come in here and be this way. Like if a scientist went into a lab and they had all these biases and beliefs going into it, we wouldn't trust their results. So when we go into our own experiment or we treat these things like experiments, we need to remove the judgment, remove the expectations and let the variables play out and be willing to change them to see what new result could come. Not judging it, just tracking the data for what it is. So those are two common things. And then I guess the third common thing that I would say is there's a lot of belief that kind of comes with what happens when you actually achieve your result that doesn't get addressed. So people fail to actually look at what will happen in your life if you achieve this. And sometimes there's this underlying resistance that's not actually recognized. Maybe you really believe that your relationship with your husband could change or you think your kids will feel differently about you or you think work is going to change for some reason, or um, maybe you have a negative past experience that revolved around trauma in a smaller body, but you want to get in a smaller body. And so you start, there's resistance that we fail to look at that. If we actually looked mm -hmm. at, even if it's painful or difficult, we could develop strategies to not have that be what ends up sending you back into a yo-yo to where you started, but instead lets you propel forward and really accept this as a lifestyle. Gosh, I'm so glad that we teamed up. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs>
Jessica, your comment about the uh, the smaller body reminds me of something that um, I, I started to realize after I had my weight loss surgery. I was very large when I had my weight loss surgery, like 320 pounds, very large. And I always felt big and strong and like I, I could walk down the street and I wasn't worried about anybody messing with me or, you know, bothering me because I was just I was big and nobody's going to mess with me. You know, the, the fat kid's hard to kidnap. So, uh, when I got smaller, I noticed that I felt less safe when I was out and about in my, in my smaller body. And that was something that I was like, wow, okay, what's, what's going on here? Like, let's, let's dive into this a little bit and figure out what's, where this is coming from. And I, and I realized that my, my, my big body was my, like my armor against the world. I didn't have to worry about people talking to me and, and things. And then when I got down to what my, was my lowest weight, People would approach me and talk to me and it was very, very uncomfortable and it took a while for me to like recognize what was going on there. And I also found that it made me a little sad that people now felt comfortable to approach me when they didn't before in that matter. So that's some of my, (laughs) some of my personal little story there about some of the mental work that I've had to like recognize and, and go through that you don't really think about that. Like pre-weight loss surgery that never occurred to me that was something that I was gonna have to like work through I'm glad you brought that up because that does come up quite a bit too um is like well people look at me differently based on my size and based on how I am or how I look whether that's because you're overweight or you're starting to lose weight or in a smaller body people will always look at you differently so I can imagine that adjustment is especially challenging if you did get used to protecting yourself too from, I don't have to talk to people. They're not going to approach me. I'm always going to be good to now. What do I even say with people giving me an attention or a level of attention that I didn't receive before? And then grieving for your old version of yourself who didn't get that, even though she was just the amazing person you are in a different body. Yeah. There is that aspect of like having to say goodbye to to the old you in a lot of ways in order to embrace the new you, which is such a weird thing to go through. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, it's it's beautiful, but it's like it's just it it is totally like like changing your identity. And for me, after I had lost the bulk of my weight, um, I literally changed my identity. I moved cross country, <laughs> and I was like, I'm starting fresh. I'm like, I'm, I don't, I didn't, I wanted to separate myself from that life, and I, I think that I had a really good opportunity in doing that that not a lot of other people have. And maybe, maybe it was running from, from I don't know if it was running or reinventing, um, but it definitely served a purpose where I did like create that clean sleep for myself and and had that opportunity. And I know Celeste, your body changes a lot, being that you're a competitor. And I know that, but the last time I saw you, you were like in the thick of the season. And I was like, girl, you are tiny. <laughs> like, so how are you, how are you affected? Especially because you're, I mean, in the course of a year, you're on purpose making noticeable changes. Like, what do you notice? Like to Jess's point of how people treat you? Oh, yeah. People will ask me questions about my body consistently, you know, like, what's your focus now? When are you competing again? Or like, are you trying to build or you look healthier now, which to a competitor usually sounds like you look fatter now. Um, <laughs> which is true, because we do put on more body fat, but that's how it's perceived. Um, but I've actually learned a lot in my journey about how I communicate about my body in prep versus off of prep. 
where in prep, I won't feed into that energy so much because I don't want them feeling like they can always make comments about my body. I try to encourage a conversation about my energy. So they'll be like, you're looking lean. Thank you so much. I'm actually feeling kind of low in energy today. Tomorrow, can you ask me about my energy levels? Just to kind of condition or help them to see that it goes beyond the way that I look. And if I do celebrate the prep body, if someone's complimenting me or saying something in my improvement season, I make an effort to also speak kindly about my body. For me, it's also like you have to adjust visually to your body changing. And sometimes like you aren't used to seeing yourself with maybe less fat or more fat. So your mind is a little bit slower to adapt. Um, but for me, it used to be a lot of like comments like that or people assuming you let yourself go or you're no longer an athlete when really you're like, no, this is the athlete phase. Like this is me really pushing myself to be better. This is my recovery phase. This is when I'm healthy, strong. The rest of it is just a very short period of time in my life. Um, but this is where I really am supposed to be and supposed to thrive so I can be even better next time I'm there. Yeah. I think that the, the other people factor is a factor. And we talked about this. So we have a once a month call with the team. We do a mindset workshop with Celeste and she she surprised us with an awesome one this past week. Um, but, but we've talked about like how, especially as women, we always, we are more inclined to make other people comfortable and, and put ourselves on the back burner. And I have a lot of those conversations with clients too, of them maybe not having a supportive partner or having a partner when they were very overweight and unhealthy. And now they're living a healthy life and their partner doesn't align with that. And just, and for me, I would say that my threshold of giving a fuck about others is pretty high, is pretty low. Like I really don't give a fuck. I mean, I wouldn't say I don't care what people think because that would be a lie. Everybody cares to an extent. But I think my I think that my level of fuck you is pretty high. I would say that. And I think you all you all know me pretty well. I pretty, generally pretty high. will pretty tell high. people to go fuck to go fuck themselves. But I am not most people, and I also have been doing this for a while, as 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 we all have here. So Celeste, what are like some, I know this is a, a question that has probably a million answers, but if you were to look at like most common or something generalized that you can do to maybe protect your space or stand up for yourself or something in this, in this realm of, of things, actionable things that people can do, what would you say? Understand your own emotions and needs first. So rather than cutting everybody out or lashing out and saying these people don't belong in my life, really understand your own emotional responses to what's being said or done so it can be communicated effectively. I think we just want to cut people out. We just want to say nobody understands me when really we haven't even taken the time to understand ourselves. Like we just assume that they're not supportive of us when really we haven't had the conversation with them about what it would look like to be supportive of us. We don't even know what it would look like if they started supporting uh -huh. us because maybe they never have in this capacity. So I think from a broad perspective and something to start with is learn to validate yourself and your own emotions. So when you go to communicate with people in your life, whether they're people you want in your life, the person walking down the street, or it's someone who you actually are ready to let go of a relationship with, know where you're at emotionally. So maybe utilize something like an emotion wheel to kind of dig into that and then understand how that emotion is affecting the way you're showing up in that relationship or conversation. So you can express it to them without blaming them or telling them how they are making assumptions because that will just rupture the relationship further. Um, so it's better to, you know, establish what that looks like for you. So when you do communicate it, it's coming from a grounded place. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I totally. It's so funny whenever I talk to anybody about their partners and especially when they say, well, my partner is really supportive, but like, or wants to be supportive. I usually, it's usually, we're usually talking about husbands. So I make a joke about, oh, men, yeah. you know, and, but I say, you know, they, maybe they want to support you, but they don't know what they can do. So you have to map it out. And like you said, maybe you don't, maybe it's trial and error. You guys have to figure out what works. Um, but I, but like, I, I tell Mark exactly what he can do to help, whether it be, you know, us, uh, us cooking healthy dinners together or whether it be that we're at a restaurant and I don't want to eat any more bread. So please just move it to the other side of the table. You know, those little things though, you know, are, are things that you can tell people to do to, to help you. Um, cause I think that especially in this health fitness space, people aren't living the same lifestyle, which by the way, I think that's another thing is having the, having expectations of your partner jumping on the bandwagon, which sometimes it is because people are contagious. It's this lifestyle is contagious, but I think setting that expectation is, is a rough road as well. Um, but I think that that's such a big factor is the, you know, what like this is, this is what you can do. Thank you so much. This is what you can do. I totally agree on that communication factor. Yeah. And they're changing with us, whether or not they jump in the lifestyle Mm -hmm. or those changes at the same time. Like now, if you're cooking a different dinner and they've been used to, I'm going to be silly, but like meatloaf Monday and you don't do that anymore. They're now grieving meatloaf Monday, you know, so you got to be able (laughs) to communicate I you can know? macro hack that for you. Don't you yes. worry. So we can keep Meatloaf Monday. Work. We can make it work. <laughs> exactly. This is true. I People will mention it to me. I'm like, talk to Jess about that because I don't personally know. Um, but I'm sure it could work. But yeah, like they're changing with us. So like their schedule might change because now you're actually going to the gym or their expectations of what um, – couple time looks like might change because maybe you don't want to watch TV for three hours. Maybe you want to get up and do things because you have more energy. So um, communicating along the way in those relationships you want to keep is so important. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, Okay. I'm going to ask you something that is just swirling around the internet and specifically in the weight loss surgery community. Um, And I'm not, I'm not going to weigh in on it. I'm just going to ask you what you think about Um, people saying that obesity is a chronic disease with no cure. What are your thoughts when somebody says something like that? What? No cure for obesity? Yeah. Everybody should see the quizzical look on, on Celeste's face right now. This is something that is is running rampant, especially around the weight loss surgery community. Um, and it's, and, and I've asked this question to, to the last guest that came on, who was our, our partner for our, uh, uh, for our medical clinic. And I thought, you know, in somebody that has helped, you know, helped people on their journeys. Um, do you think that there's any truth to that statement? No, I don't. I we think don't there either. is no truth to that at all. Um, if you want to over-identify with a disease or a disorder and do nothing about it, there is no cure. Sure. Um, if you want that to be your story forever, sure, you won't get through it, you know, then yes, if that's what you want to subscribe to, then you can accept that as your reality. But it's not based in fact, that is based purely in probably lack of personal responsibility and emotion, we need to be able to actually say like, you know what, there is a cure for this, I'm just not willing to commit to it. If that's the case, <laughs> very that's true. Fine own it, you know, but I, I, there's absolutely a cure. They're missing that last part of the sentence. There's no cure for those who won't commit. The work, I mean, the work works. There's, there's no getting around that, but it is work. I mean, it really is work, but we talked about this. I'm going to reference our call last week, but just a bunch of times now, 
Um, we talked about how we have this expectation of just like knowing how to do stuff. Like when you put up that worksheet and I immediately thought, oh, this isn't going to work for me. And it was like, oh, because you're not willing to put the time into it. And I like, and I brought that up on our call that I was like, wait, hold on. If you want to learn how to do anything or get better at anything, you're going to suck in the beginning, by the way. <laughs> then you're going to have to do it like yeah. a lot <laughs> before you even can kind of do it. And then you're going to get good at it over time. And I think that that, like the exercise, we think of the exercising of the bicep, but we don't always think about the exercising of the brain, right? Yeah, exactly. I call it progressive overload for mental gains, because just as you would progressively overload in a training program, as you progress in your mentality and your mindset, it takes consistent effort, repeated effort, and the ability to keep going a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect segue for you to kind of talk about like how, how our partnership works. So, um, so I, I got Celeste in on the, the fit with me fever, um, because I do find that, and actually I'm going to ask you one more question before I move into that. I find that a lot of coaches overstep their boundaries as far as what their scope is, whether coaches are playing doctor a little bit too much, whether we're playing therapist or counselor a little too much. And that's really why I reached out to you is that even though I can speak on strategies and my experience and my experience in helping others, I really thought that it was unfair for me to be advertising myself as being a mental health professional when I'm not. And I find that I, and maybe it's just my perception of it, but I feel like that's kind of running rampant in the coaching world or people, people just for whatever it is going outside their scope a little bit, you know? Yeah, and I can understand where they're coming from with it, because the more they offer, then the more they think they will receive as well, whether that's financially or energetically. So I think a lot of coaches sometimes carry this scarcity mindset of if I refer them out, they might not come back. And unfortunately, from the mental health side of things, like we talked about in the very beginning, not many of them are accepting of the fitness lifestyle and that commitment, that intense or more Mm -hmm. intense commitment to goals. So I can see why coaches would be worried about referring out, thinking they'll lose their clients to that person or that person will tell them not to continue because it's unhealthy or disordered or whatever they might say. So I understand why coaches kind of protect in that sense too. And I don't think Mm -hmm. they're necessarily wrong for doing that. I I find a lot of coaches are great counselors. (laughs) A lot of coaches are awesome (laughs) at validating their clients' experience, and they do a really good job of communicating and and supporting that relationship between client and coach. However, once a coach understands that there's something they maybe can't support their client with beyond the validation aspect or a couple tools or resources, I think that is where there's responsibility on the coach's behalf to find someone who can. Um, and, and you know, you can know a lot of things without having degrees, right? I definitely yep. believe that. And anyone can go and study counseling techniques and principles and learn it without a degree. The degree is like what people would say is a worldly thing. It makes a difference, obviously, because I had to, you know, obtain the standard and, and uphold that. But um, even I can't help everybody with everything. And then I'm like, I can't mm-hmm. help you with that. Even though I worked in this field and I have this experience doesn't mean I can even help with all those things. So I think it's important to know, like, it's okay to be honest with clients and tell them what you do and don't feel comfortable with supporting them in. And I also, I, I don't blame coaches for why they would advertise themselves as such or, or support their clients in that way, as long as they know their limit and that they, 
feel safe with who they're referring their clients to. Mm-hmm. Well, so now I just talked all that shit about coaches and talked about how I'm, I'm, I am very happy to say what's in and out of my scope. And I'll say, this isn't my professional opinion. I'll give you my opinion as, you know, just to, as on what's going on with you. But, I'm, you know, this is not where I specialize. I'm not your guy, but I'll find you your guy. And even when I used to be yeah. in sales, that that's what my boss would tell me. If you don't know the answer, say you don't know the answer, but you're going to find exactly. out the answer. And so that's how I operate too. But now I'm going to flip it the other way. Jess originally came onto the team because she is so good at that piece. Jess is like the team mother. She's like, she's like, I, I call her mother. Earth. You can call, you can call me the emotional support animal. It's okay. Yeah, I was just going to say, when, when Jess first came on, we were like, Jess, it's like you're the ESA. But it's because she's so good at relating to clients on that level. So, yes. and I'll let Jess talk about kind of how she, she got in on that, on, on being our ESA here. I mean, I would say a good portion of all of my onboarding and macro meal plan calls are still very focused around being that kind of emotional support piece because what we're doing is so emotional. And a lot of the times it's, it's, I'm talking to other moms and people with families and we're, you know, going back to that, you know, trying not to blame our parents for where we're at, but instead moving forward and like creating this new, like safe space and talking about food differently and, you know, getting past all that, like good and bad and setting up these, these new, this new kind of like lifestyle stuff when it comes to um, working with their kids and, and, and how to approach this new lifestyle when it comes to, you know, working with a partner and, 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 and families. Um, and yeah, I would say a good, probably 80% of our calls are related to like how somebody's feeling about what they're doing and how we're going to work through that together and how we're going to create this new like lifestyle plan that is centered around them and how it's, you know, we're creating our own track. Like you said before, it's not the same track that some the next person has taken, um, creating their own track. And, um, and then the other 20% is actually talking about the food and the macros and the things and, and you know, building that back into it. But it's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of emotions that we have to get past and, and kind of stepping back to creating these, these habits and yeah, but it's it a, definitely it's makes a difference. From, <laughs> it does make a difference. It, it does. does make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will, uh, I will pass it over to Taylor. Um. So, um, let me see. What is one piece of advice for people starting out? Create a connection between your goals and your values rather than just the outcome that you want to achieve. So a lot of times we only focus on the outcome we're looking for, but we're not looking at how committing to getting that outcome will benefit our life in the areas that are most important. So I think it's really key to say this, these are my core values. These are my goals. These are how they align. We did a workshop on this for team fit with me because I do believe it's so important. Now, when people are on the phone with me in our initial call, I'm like, If you haven't yet, watch that because I do believe it's very important for feeling like your goals are non-negotiable. It's when you can connect it to a deeper part of yourself. And I am a big believer in 
always prioritize the process over everything because mm-hmm. if we want the outcome repeatedly or we want to continue to get the outcome or see the outcome we have to really be able to commit to the process and if we're not celebrating the process enjoying it or connecting it to the things that really matter to us we'll find a reason not to continue so if you're starting out identify how this goal that you have actually supports you in your day-to-day life and the things that matter most to you so when you're going to do new things like meal prep or cardio or work out or have hard conversations with people in your life you can always say this is why it's actually important to me on a soul level on a deep level i love that we've it, it, it's it, it's so funny how on brand this conversation is. i know, no, but, and also, but 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 it's almost like we rehearsed it, which we didn't. Um, but in all seriousness, it is so exciting that we have like so many experts on this team that we all do align and that we all do live the lifestyle ourselves and can, you know, can, can teach it and practice it. And, um, and just like, it, it's very interesting to have this conversation because you and I have not sat down and had like a social conversation recently. So over the past, in like a couple months, it's been, it's been too long. We're, we're going to look back on that after this. Podcast. We haven't scheduled um, though. But um, but it is exciting, like when like to have this conversation and just be like, oh, yeah, Celeste is our girl. And when, when we had calls with you before you like came on to work with all new clients, um, you, we would like hang up from those calls. And Jess and I would be this was this predates Taylor, I think. But Jess and I would be like, Celeste is our girl. We got we to gotta get her in the Aww. game. <laughs> That's so cool. Oh, yeah. Well, it makes my life so easy working with your guys' team because you genuinely promote something I also believe in. It's something sustainable. It's a lifestyle. It's supportive of the client's Mm -hmm. individual journey. So I trust and believe I'm not, I work with a lot of different people and not, not all of them are within a team or a coach, right? It's not like this where we're working as a cohesive unit, but um, I help a lot of competitors and athletes and, and women outside of this. And they're not always following the best approach makes my life a little bit more difficult in some capacity because I'm trying to also educate them on like, there might be something better out there. But with you guys, it's very easy because they're already set up with a great plan. They're set up with great support system. They have a lot of experts at their fingertips. So it's like, wow, we really can just focus on this side of things, which is awesome. And I really believe in what you guys are doing. And I think it's, Sarah, I just think it's really cool what you've been able to build. What all of us are doing, guys, this is the coolest thing ever. It's amazing. It's a cool it really community. is so cool. Um, and, and and I will say that like, so for, well, uh, the last question we have on our list is like a, it's a fun question. It might be the wrong question to ask our mindset master, but I'll let, I'll let Jess ask the question. <laughs> okay. So if you could have one food that was calorie and consequence free, what would it be? Chocolate, of course. Ah, she's just, we're like, where is she gonna go with? Yeah, <laughs> I was waiting. I, I was thinking cheese. Mac and cheese. Head, I was like, say cheese, say I cheese. Said it, but sometimes it's in unpredictable. The mac and cheese you get's gonna be good, but with chocolate, I do not discriminate. I like all of it. It's so good. Um, I eat chocolate every day. I'm currently on a gut protocol, so it's a little different, but I eat chocolate every day. 
And that's actually how I started to normalize foods that I was afraid of or that I didn't allow was by doing mm-hmm. exactly that. So chocolate, <laughs> for sure. Imagine if it was consequence-free, I would put it on everything. Yeah, like that, like, like no, di- no, no digestion issues, no calories. Like this is, this is the thing. But it has that's to be so one true. thing. I like your thing. Okay. That's so, true. <laughs> so, uh, so just to like kind of talk about a little bit of like how it's less works with our team as we're wrapping things up here. So every new client that comes on board goes through 12 weeks of mindset work with Celeste. So they have a weekly check-in. Everything is uh, fully individualized. I'll let you kind of, if you want to expand on that and then also talk about, you know, if somebody wants to seek out your help, you know, apart from team fit with me, kind of where they can find you and what they're, you know, what that entails. Sure. So when working with team fit with me, you join and then you get to have access to me for 12 weeks. We start off with a 15 minute call. You've already completed a form regarding some of the mental health struggles that you're facing specifically related to this journey. So I already have some insight and background to which allows me to curate some of the things that I think are going to be beneficial for you to implement right off the bat. On our call, I get to know you a little bit better. We maybe dive into some of those things, discuss the resources that I think are going to be good to start implementing. I'm very solutions focused, as Taylor was saying. It's not just talk, it's solve. (laughs) It's let's do something about it. Let's test, let's tweak, let's see what works. So yes, we do psychoeducation in the things that you're utilizing so you understand why you're utilizing them. Then after we get off the call, I send you those initial resources that I think are going to be best based on what you've shared in your form and on that call with me. Mm -hmm. And then every Friday, or if that ever changes, just every week at some point, (laughs) you'll be uh, alerted to check in with me and you send that check in via the app and then always respond and give you maybe some new resources, maybe some questions to consider, or maybe I need clarity on something or encouragement. I've had some people who are like, I've had no wins this week. And I'm like, that you didn't answer the question. I need your wins. Like, let's, let's dig a little deeper. It doesn't have to be related Mm -hmm. to this. Um, Or maybe they're like, I didn't do any of the resources. And I'm like, did you think more about your food in this way? Like we talked about, actually, yes, I did. Cool. So it's, it's a lot of back and forth as well. And then resource sending or creating for people. And then, yeah, uh, throughout the program, it's just to support you in your goals and continue to help you with the way that you perceive yourself and your body and food and your overall identity as you're going through these changes. And then when it comes to how you can work with me outside of this, you can learn more about me at celestial.fit. That's my website. I do have a personal development book, like Sarah mentioned in the beginning, that's on Amazon, Believe Your Way to Badass. And then I have tons of free resources for people. So on celestial.fit, you can find a free food relationship coaching series that will really give you a full breakdown for eight days with eight videos, psychoeducation on improving your relationship with food, a full workbook to go along with that, um, which I think is a great tool that you can utilize, not just once, but anytime. And you can email me as you go through it, and I'm happy to provide support. So uh, that's one of the many resources, and um, there's tons of interviews on there, too, if you want to keep learning more in that way. But yeah, that's my website, and Instagram is celestial underscore fit. And I will add all that in the description. (laughs) Oh, you're the best, Jess. Also, how do people get your weekly email? Oh, the newsletter? Yeah, I like getting that. And I've shared that with our group, some of the things you put in there too. How do people get access to that? That's awesome. 
You know what is funny now that you ask me that? I'm like, I don't think I have a one way that people can sign up for that. I think I just, they get added <laughs> if they sign up for the free series. So I should really make something where they can just yeah. get access to the newsletter. Um, if you guys sign up for any of the freebies on my website, you'll definitely be getting access to that. Um, but I will create something and I'll just put it at the bottom of my website on celestial.fit. So if you guys go there, you'll be able to find that. I'll add it to my to-do oh. list. <laughs> Sorry, I added work for you. No, um, I do love getting fantastic. it. And it's so funny. Sometimes I'll get them. Like I posted one in our group Facebook group a couple of weeks ago and it was something I had had since like Thanksgiving, but I was like, ooh, like I, I like kept going back to it. And I was like, I like this. So yeah, totally. Anybody who's listening should definitely sign up for the newsletter, which is going yes. to exist on her website shortly. <laughs> Definitely. I don't know why it's not there. Or if I even have that, I think I have a tech to join. So I got to look into that. But yeah, my website's a good place and it'll be there today. So you guys don't have to worry. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This is so fun. I would love to have you back um, again. You're definitely going to have a standing in right here. Um, if yeah, Assuming that you want to come back. I would love to. Yes, of course. Yes, this is a lot of fun. Um, thank you for listening to the Been There Lost Fat podcast. Our motto here is do it right so you only have to do it once. If you're looking for personalized and customized programming to reach and sustain your health and fitness goals, check us out at teamfitwithme.com. Complete the info, uh, the info link and then you will get all sorts of resources in addition to setting up a complimentary consult with me. Um, and if anybody needs Celeste, you know where to find her there as well. Thanks, guys.